Listening to American Indian Airwaves. For Marcus Lopez, Fabiana Hirsch, I'm your host for the hour, Larry Smith. So, what we're seeing worldwide with this incredible inequality is that the, the cities that we live in, Los Angeles, New York, is all over the world, cities are being green, green zones and gray zones. This is a new global social and spatial apartheid. 80% of humanity is locked into the gray zone. They're subject to the repression of global police state. And 20% of humanity can live a life in the global green zone. We have not had a chance to talk about the threat of 21st century fascism. And it's more real and more palpable than it has been, perhaps in the entire history of the United States. Of course, we can call there's been fascist tendencies and we can call uh, slavery and genocide against indigenous fascism. But in terms of a formal political system of fascism, we've never been closer to it in the in the United States. And that is a great danger. A You know, the takeover by uh, of fascism is going to create the worst possible conditions for us to struggle, make things a lot worse for us. Today on American Indian Airwaves, part two of the global police state, and we explore how far capitalism has become a system of repression and how emerging megacities of the world are becoming the battlegrounds where the excluded and the oppressed face off against the global police state. We'll speak with Dr. William Robinson on his brand new book here on American Indian Airwaves. You can hear when the moon shines bright, the lone through air in the black of the night. You can hear, you can hear the whisper in the valley. Mm-hmm. And you know when come a honey blows to the bar who drum. We want to remind listeners that over the years, American Indian Airways brings you the voices of grassroots indigenous peoples, uh, native academics, and and just indigenous peoples on the front lines of struggles throughout Mother Earth. And we've been broadcasting here on KPFK since 1973. And the station cannot operate unless it conducts its fund drives. And we are in fund drive mode. Therefore, we want listeners to know that you can support us here at American Indian Airwaves. And we're offering two premium items. One is a brand new book by Dr. William Robinson called The Global Police State. We're gonna play a snippet of an interview we did with Dr. William Robinson here shortly, but it's a brand new book. It's called The Global Police State. And the book talks about how the global police state uses a variety of methods of control, including mass incarceration, surveillance, police violence, U.S.-led wars, persecution of immigrants and refugees, and the repression of activists in showing how the police state is beyond control and is immensely profitable enterprise and keeps the global capitalist economy afloat in the face of chronic stagnation and in the face of systemic emerging poverty 
and ecological disarray. And this is a $125 premium. It's a brand new book. It's called The Global Police State. It's relevant, it's timely, and it's important for all of us to read. The other premium item that we're offering is Greg Palace's new book called How Trump Stole 2020, The Hunt for America's Vanished Voters. It's a signed copy of the book. It's a $120 premium, and it's a powerful expose on how the Trump presidential campaign administration and cohorts of the Republican Party are systematically attempting to prohibit people, particularly people of color, from voting in the forthcoming elections this November 2020. That's a $120 premium. You can call 818-985-5735, 818-985-KPFK, or you can visit the KPFK website at kpfk.org and choose as a premium item, The Global Police State by Dr. William Robinson, or How Trump Stole 2020, The Hunt for America's Vanished Voters by Greg Palace, also a $120 premium. Well, Larry, we want to welcome everybody and our listeners who have been uh, listening to American Airways. And uh, these particular premiums, it's kind of like a thank you for all you listeners out there in Indian country and then within the whole Internet and within the whole Southern California and other places about these particular gifts, especially I want to focus on the beginning of the hour of the Global Police State by William I. Robinson talks about these transnational capitalist class. And one might say, what's that to do with, the, with us and everyday life and everyday people? Larry and our listeners, this is a book about explaining why we are at where we are, what to do about it, and the mechanisms of control over very lives. You know, one little section I wanted to say with Larry was the transnational media practices that reflects and reproduces the transnational transformation of capitalism, the global entertainment media, and this global financial giant spread their investment tentacle throughout the Silicon Valley as well as the corporate media entertainment. So what's so, what's so important about this? Time Cost Corporations, Walt Disney Company, and the media finance CIT, Nexus, is, is enormously influential in shaping the culture and ideology of global capitalism and reproducing the system hegemony. Those are fancy words, Larry, saying that they control our lives, our ideology, our culture by the media entertainment industry as well as information industry. And this particular point about Hollywood and the entertainment industry and the corporate media has become weaponized that really steps up the circuits of militarized accumulation. Those are words within this book that explains even more the mechanisms, Larry, that we, the Native people, Use different language when they say that, that when, when the different pipelines throughout the country and the resistance to those pipelines connect the dots. This book, The Global Police State by William I. Robinson, connects the dots of worldwide, how worldwide contributes to the nationwide, contributes to the indigenous nations, contributing to the exploitation, oppression, and alienation that we all feel. 
And then, so Larry, once again, we offer these two premiums, $125 premium, the Global Police State, a thank you kind of premium. I know $120 um, Palace's book, How Trump Stole 2020. And in Palace's book, we'll go on there later on to explain certain things. But I think suffice to say, Larry, this is a tool. For example, Malcolm X talked about study your enemy. Well, we have to study these things. We can't be just following the crowd, studying them, using our intellect as well as the culture to determine what's important in our lives, what we want to do and build a new future. And at the end of the book, he talks about that. So, Larry, I think it's very vital and for everybody to get this book in order so you can read it, in order so you can interpret our reality. And... Um, I think it's so important to support American United Airways and to support KPFK in order so they can at least a little bit of a light under the dimness of these corporations like Comcast Corporation or Walt Disney Corporation or other transnational media that control much of the news media and the news we see today. And so, Larry, I want to really emphasize that when you make your pledge, you're supporting the American Indian Airways. Absolutely. And we want to remind listeners that they can call 818-985-5735 or 818-985-KPFK or visit the KPFK website at kpfk.org and click on the KPFK pledge uh, widget on the website. And Marcus, you're so right in talking about American Indian Airwaves here on KPFK and how we provide right those alternative voices, which we shouldn't be an alternative voice if we truly had a democratized media system. And I think that's very powerful in, in, in how Do- uh, William Robinson talks about the global police state right, and, and the oligarchies that exist in the legacy media industry, as well as the communications, information technology industries, and how companies um, like uh, Google, which is a subsidiary of Alphabet, you know, Microsoft, uh, the Bing, Yahoo, you know, all these search engine uh, or companies that provide search engines that really are the main tool that people use when they access and search out in the internet, that it's extremely difficult to access alternative voices. It's extremely hard to find indigenous voices out on the internet unless you know where to go to look for it. And these industries are are dominated by just a handful of companies whose founders and, and owners are part of that transnational capitalist class that Dr. William Robinson talks about. But they're also part of that same class that run the a handful of transnational corporations that are really gatekeepers to how people understand the world that they live in and everything else uh, about the world that they don't even have access to that's that's missing in their lives it's missing from their consciousness and so the book the global police state provides that kind of information those tools to as you are so articulately express it provides that information and those tools that explains how we got here and how a world of Economy, capitalist economy has reached the breaking point of its expansion, and now it, it's turning inward, and it's creating this large system of surplus humanity where people are finding themselves out of work or, or heading in that direction or lacking financial security and food security. And it's important 
to understand how this system works. And that's what's so powerful about the global police state and also the work that we do here on American Indian Airwaves in bringing indigenous frontline voices uh, from the grassroots communities on the show. And we want to remind listeners that they can call 818-985-5735, 818-985-KPFK or go to kpfk.org. Again, William Robinson's book, The Global Police State, is a $125 premium. Or they can pick up Greg Palace's new book, How Trump Stole 2020, The Hunt for America's Vanished Voters. And that's a $120 premium. And Marcus, we want to give listeners an introduction into the content that's in the book, The Global Police State. Uh, you you, myself, and Fabiana Hirsch, uh, also part of the American Indian Airwaves Collective, had the honor and privilege to sit down and speak with William Robinson on his new book, The Global Police State. So we want to introduce listeners to part two of our two-part interview with Dr. William Robinson on The Global Police State. Dr. William Robinson is Professor of Sociology, Global Studies, and Latin American Studies at the University of California, Santa Barbara. He is the author of numerous books on global capitalism, including Global Capitalism and the Crisis of Humanity, and We Will Not Be Silence. Today, myself, Marcus Lopez, and Fabiana Hirsch speak with William Robinson on his brand new book released in September of 2020 called The Global Police State. Yeah, Marcus Lopez here. Um, it's an incredible book. I mean, The Global Police State, William I. Robinson is talking about something that the left and the social movement have been saying something for the last 40 years in one book. Um, there's a lot of things to understand within the book. Well, one thing you made clear, William, and that is the understanding of capitalism, just to taking it apart and this notion of a capitalist globalization, taking it out of the nation state, taking it out of the country and looking at the global view and the new economic model known as flexible accumulation and then mm -hmm. you talked about, which I had to look it up, this precarious labor, and then in turn the lumpen proletariat, and then turned out these other words that describe this new feature of this accumulation, which affects, and you go through the book, talks about all these levels of society, criminal system, inequality, immigration, you name it, you go over it, even the accumulation of crime, Talk about that accumulation. Talk about this new sense of what the world has evolved into. Well, we need to remember that, above all, the very the capitalism is a system which uh, follows an implacable drive to accumulate capital. That is to make profit. It trumps everything else. The drive to maximize profit. You're listening to American Indian Airwaves and an interview with William Robinson, who's professor of sociology, global studies, and Latin American studies at the University of California, Santa Barbara. We're speaking on his brand new book, The Global Police State. And now back to the interview. 
And so we had an earlier moment, because you're asking me about this new globalist stage of world capitalism. We had an earlier moment, certainly reaching its heyday in the 20th century, in which capitalism was organized in individual nation states. Of course, these nation states traded with one another. There were financial flows. But we had nation state capitalism. And the 20th century was a time of mass struggle all around the world. It was militant uh, working class struggles in the United States, the black and Chicano liberation movement, the feminist movement, the anti-war movements. We know about this in the United States. But worldwide with the anti-imperialist and anti-colonial struggles, the third world revolutions. This was in the 20th century. And these mass movements from below at every single level forced capitalist state to regulate capital, to regulate capitalism, to intervene in the market, to bring some form of regulation, and particularly to bring about some type of a redistribution of wealth downward through minimum wages, through unemployment insurance, through social security. All of these things came about in the 20th century as a result of struggles, mass struggles from below that brought about that limited redistribution because capitalism left to its own devices will polarize wealth. It will concentrate wealth in one, two, three percent of humanity the most, and it will immiserate everyone else. And we saw where earlier in the interview, we were talking about how the U.S. billionaires have increased their wealth by a trillion dollars, while the rest of us are, are, are moving down. So in the 20th century, we were able to fight back at the nation state level. But by the late 20th century, the capitalists started realizing they had to break the power of the working and the popular classes. They had to push the mass revolt uh, onto the defensive. And so capital went global. That is to say that globalization, starting in the late 20th century, was a strategy of capitalist classes around the world to break free of the nation state and of popular and mass constraints to the unbridled accumulation of profits that capital was thinking. So that brings us to the 21st century, to the new global stage of world capitalism. And in this global stage, we are fighting at the nation state level, but capital is operating globally. And so this has weakened the popular and the working classes everywhere around the world. And one of the ways this has weakened is that capital, in order to maximize profits, needs to minimize what it pays out to workers. And so part of that is that through through computer and information technology, through all of the new digital technologies, capital has been able to reorganize the whole global economy. And in this reorganization, workers are increasingly have been in a more vulnerable situation. And in particular, to, to you know, link this to your question, there are two categories, two groups that face up against global police state that are moving downward and being destabilized by global capitalism. And one is what I call in the book surplus humanity. The International Labor Organization tells us that uh, one third of the workforce, that there's two billion people on the planet that are surplus humanity, meaning they don't have formal jobs. They are structurally marginalized from the formal global economy. They have to scratch out a living in the informal sector and very often face starvation, uh, homelessness, and death. That's one third of humanity is surplus humanity, structurally unemployed and marginalized. And then those that are in the workforce increasingly face these precarious work conditions. That's what you were referring to with the technical term, flexible accumulation, meaning that you have no job security whatsoever. You might be temporary labor, contract labor, uh, part-time labor, outsourced labor. The newest thing is these global corporations say that you're an independent contractor. So you're driving Uber. You have to pay for your own car. You have to maintain your own, own car. You have to hope you pick up enough people to be able to earn enough money to pay your rent uh, for the month. 
You're not an independent contractor. You are a measly worker for Uber, a global corporation with billions of dollars in revenues uh, and, uh, and profits. So that's the new face of precarious work. It's what we're calling the precarious. And the precarious, that is people with precarious work, is 50% of those who have jobs anywhere on the planet are now in these precarious work arrangements, these unstable work arrangements, which bring no security whatsoever. And you can shift from precarious work right into surplus humanity at any time. So that is the face of the global working class. And again, we're talking about 80, 90% of humanity are facing uh, these, these uh, conditions. And of course, to conclude, that's where global police state comes into the story. This mass of humanity, surplus humanity, and precarious workers and, and, and poor people rising up threatens the domination of the transnational capitalist class of global elites, and they need an instrument to beat back any revolt and keep people in line. And that is the global police state. Given what you said, William, we can see that indigenous nations, uh, whether it be North America, South America, Central America, or throughout the world, is dealing with this question of transnational capital. And, and then in turn, how really we need to understand this mass mobilization from below, as you stated, and impose a counterweight to control this transnational capital in all its forms. Now, being in, in, I'm talking about Africa, whether in Asia, in, in the Pacific Islanders, or whatnot, it's so important to understand the mechanics of this transnational capital in its not only historic, but present, present times. Would you not say that this relates to many of the struggles and many of oppression that exist in our global world? Well, most certainly, absolutely. You know, we want to remember that capitalism is a system that has to constantly expand. It's like riding a bicycle. If you stop pedaling the bicycle, it falls over. If capitalism stops expanding outward, it collapses. It enters into crisis. And so the whole history of capitalism over 500, more than 500 years now, are these waves of expansion. But what do I mean by waves of expansion? Each of these waves of expansion involves dispossessing people around the world, colonizing them, appropriating their resources, exploiting their labor and then controlling and repressing them if they dare to fight back. So if you want to talk about indigenous in the United States, the genocide against indigenous involved um, the formation of capitalism on the eastern uh, seaboard originally and its expansion outward in an earlier wave of expansion to conquer what is today the, 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 the rest of, of the United, of continental United States. And that process involved the genocide of indigenous, but specifically it involved also the appropriation of their land and their resources. So the whole history of capitalism can be seen as these ongoing waves of expansion, which involve dispossession, repression and control, and massive systematic permanent resistance from below. That's the dynamic over 500 years. But currently, at this time, again, in the face of that chronic stagnation in the global economy that we talked about all the earlier, global capitalism is trying to launch a new wave of outward expansion. So that is why, you know, we spoke about Bolivia and the lithium deposits and the link between indigenous struggles in Bolivia and the transnational capitalist class. That new wave of outward expansion has to seize those lithium resources. We want to talk about Standing Rock, uh, for instance, the resistance in Standing Rock to the, um, to the pipeline. That in the larger story is also a part of capitalist expansion. Indigenous lands and, uh, need to be um, seized 
in this new wave of expansion of, cap, uh, of, uh, uh, of capitalism. And key to capital being able to carry out this new wave of its expansion around the world against the seizure of resources, the super exploitation of labor, the dispossession of people all over the world. Key to that is having an instrument, which I'm calling the global police state. In other words, in other words let me put it like this. The global police state is an instrument for the, for the accumulation of capital worldwide, for the dispossession of humanity, um, for the dispossession of humanity uh, worldwide. And I'll add one other point. Remember, this a second dimension of global police state is that it becomes immensely profitable. So we have the farcical wars against so-called war on drugs and war on terrorism. It has nothing to do with terrorism, nothing to do with drugs. Those are instruments. The wars on terrorism, the war on drugs, the war against youth, the war against gangs. These are instruments for expanding ca capitalist control and plunder worldwide, for opening up spaces for capitalist um, exploitation. That was William Robinson, the author of The Global Police State. It's one of the two premiums we're talking about here on American Indian Airwaves. Again, the book, it's brand new. It's called The Global Police State by William Robinson. It's a $125 premium here on American Indian Airwaves. We're also offering Greg Palace's new book, How Trump Stole 2020, The Hunt for America's Vanished Voters. It's a signed copy of his new book, and that's a $120 premium that you can pick up at by calling 818-985-5735 or 818-985-KPFK or visiting the KPFK website at kpfk.org and clicking on the KPFK Pledge Drive widget on the website. And both books are extremely important and they help support American Indian Airwaves here on KPFK. Before we were talking about the transnational uh, capitalist class and, and the world economy and the role that the global media system plays in really defining and controlling a very limited sense of reality that most uh, media consumers and internet users experience on a day-to-day -day basis. And this is why it's so powerful to have alternative media, to have alternative voices, because they help challenge that hegemonic, dominant narrative that exists out there in the mass media landscape. And so stations like KPFK and programs like American Indian Airwaves that bring grassroots, frontline, indigenous voices are so powerful in contributing to the media landscape. And so we want listeners to support us here on American Indian Airwaves. If you like the kind of content we bring to the show, if you like the kind of grassroots voices that we bring to the program, if you like the kind of indigenous intellectuals, thinkers, and activists that we bring to the program, support us here on American Indian Airwaves at KPFK by calling and making a pledge at 818-985-5735, 818-985-KPFK, or visiting the kpfk.org website and clicking on the KPFK pledge widget and securing a premium item there for a dollar denomination. Marcus. Larry, you're so right. When Professor William I. Robinson talks about the transnational capitalist class, it kind of is like talking about a very unclear picture to the everyday person of who these people are. But these are real people, real organizations that control our lives. And American Indian Airways attempts to create 
a reality as far as the rebellion that's going on or the uh, fight back what's going on, the frontline fighters of, of um, First Peoples and their conflict with the political economic system. But I think what, what Williams have done, he talks about the procreate and cognitive labor. Big words, but basically laid off, marginalized, diminishing middle class that's going on now. Many of the other, even the Trump supporters say, now what the heck is going on? Even, you know, and the, the, the Trump is a reflection of this transnational capitalist class. And at the same time, people live in a reservation saying that why are they so poor? Why are there no jobs? Why are there many people, especially first people that get trained, educated within the urban area, can't go back to the reservation? It's because of the fact that it's become this financial speculation and this commodification of debt. And which it which affects all of us, and you said it right word, Larry, the control. It's about control. And this class, these American working class, a lot of it, and I don't know what the percentages are, but this precarity and cognitive labor is these group of people that work for a living and cannot work for a living, include the homeless, native people, the marginalized people that can't, you know, the part-time workers, the workers that are in a variety of jobs that make a living or try to make a living, that these are a particular group of people that they make a living, try to make a living, and these transnational capital class in their particular in enterprises, and it talks about this in the book, it's too much to get into within this, the mechanism of creating money of misery. And so, in order to, like I said before, in order to talk about this, in order to realize this, talk about the media, but also this notion of the transformation of class and property relations and its struggle for what ultimately must be an equal socialism. It talks about that. It talks about, you know, we talk about, you know, this need for socialism. Maybe there's circles, like majority of the youth now talk about socialism as a need to particular projection of our future. Also, eco, eco ecological green movement has created a dialogue within these two words of eco-socialism as a resolution to the crisis required a radical redistribution of wealth and power downward to a poor majority of humanity. Can you imagine, for example, that the military industrial complex or the other industrial complexes, the big pharma and all these different groups, these, if they're taxed right, these monies, billions of dollars can go to reservations. Billions of dollars can go to uh, health care. Billions of dollars can go to housing. Billions of dollars can go X, Y, and Z, in which they pay their true value of the tax, unlike the president, they can do that. And we're asking you, I know there's a troubled time, Larry. I know that people, maybe they're groups and organizations, church groups, organizational groups, casino groups, or whatever, whatever, whoever who listen to this program, pick up the phone. Call 818-985-5735. 818-985-5735. Or go to like you said before, Larry, kpfk.org. That's kpfk.org. Since 1973, Liz Lloyd, Bill Watterson, myself, yours, and many other people, Fabiano Dubin, Corey Dubin, many others that we can't name, the list goes on, that we have provided you with an alternative that we 
and you are working together. We want to build a relationship with you. And like what my dear friend who's passed away now, Corey Dubin, used to say, put your wallet where your ear is. You know, that and so important because of the fact that we, if you want to listen to this program, like you said, Larry, pick up the phone. Phone the number, 818-985-5735, 818-985-5735. In the Internet, please go to the Internet, kpfk.org. And this time, the station, for example, have bills too. They have a staff that's barely making it because it's COVID-19. And we're all our programmers within the whole cross-section of KPFK ask for your support, and we have these two different gifts that we thought were appropriate for our listeners and for the people. So as organizations, for libraries, for um, activist groups, for all these different people, you need to know what's going on in the world, and this is a playbook. This is a, a book in which explains the global picture and how it does affect us. And it does affect us, and we can see that worldwide politics is because of this capitalist class and these individuals that are in this class affecting our everyday life. And so, Larry, I think this is so important to understand that. Absolutely, Marcus, and we want to remind everybody, the book is called The Global Police State by William Robinson. It's a $125 premium, and the second premium item that we're offering here on American Indian Airwaves is a signed copy of Greg Palace's new book called How Trump Stole 2020, The Hunt for America's Vanished Voters. That's a $120 premium. Both premium items can be picked up by calling 818-985-5735 or 818-985-KPFK or simply visiting the kpfk.org website. And we want to encourage uh, listeners, if you appreciate the show, if you appreciate uh, the voices that we bring to all of you here on American Indian Airwaves and how we try to uplift indigenous voices uh, as part of the larger spectrum of diversified perspectives that broadcast on KPFK, we're encouraging you to dial 818-985-5735 or 818-985-KPFK or go to the KPFK website once again and pick up a copy of The Global Police State by William Robinson or pick up a signed copy of How Trump Stole 2020, The Hunt for America's Vanished Voters by Greg Palace. The Global Police State, $125 premium. Greg Palace's book, How Trump Sold 2020, $100.20 premium. And support Indigenous Voices, support alternative media, support a future uh, for all generations by informing and in educating yourself. Larry, one of the things that I wanted to say, especially about how Trump stole 2020, he has a, uh, a quote then. It says that um, I could say, stop screwing voters of color out of their votes or don't put your right to vote in the hands of jackals like Kobach, Husted, or Alito. He says, in billionaires and ballot bandits, many detailed analysis put the 2008 elections still at 5.9 million votes via purchase, disqualifications, mass rejections, or provisional absentee and paper ballots. In other words, they can't steal all the votes all the time. Whatever the steal in 2008, whether 5.9 million 
or more, Obama simply overwhelmed it. This book is not an excuse to simply walk away in tears. If someone is trying to steal your car, would you say, oh, here's the key? You scream, holler, and bite, and scratch. So we're talking about this vote, and we're talking about we're screaming, we're hollering, we're biting, and we're scratching, in a polite way, of course, about contributing to an alternative voice, a different voice, and how Gret Palace's book, and it's a very comical book in the South, Larry, but it talks about if someone was to steal your ride or steal your car, you'll go after them, and the same thing, same thing is happening. Somebody's stealing democracy, and it's about power, power of money, and this is the book in summation. It's about how this money is stealing the 2020 elections. We got to wake up, we got to act, mobilize, and we have to say that this vote, your vote, is important. By reading how Trump stole 2020, you realize how so important it is. And so you get off from your couch, get up from your kitchen table, get up from your car. Obviously, you're not you know, driving unless you have a pre, um, pre-programmed uh, car. Or you get up from a walk, or you get up from a run, or you get off from your ship, or you get off from your boat, you get up wherever you are and phone this number. And that number is 818-985-5735, 818-985-5735, or 985-KPFK, or kpfk.org. Larry gives you an avenue. When we talk about a lot of it was alternative. Larry, it's about not being cheap, okay? It's about not following the main line. It's about being creative, being injected with this activity that we need at this time in order to come to that conclusion. What is that conclusion? As best as possible, creating a democracy, and you can't create a democracy if you get false analysis or false news, the important thing is that's what KPFK intends to do and is doing, and that's what we do, American Indian Airways. Listen to the first people. Listen to indigenous people. Listen to those, uh, those leaders, those scholars, those activists that are trying to articulate of their survival as well as the projections for a future where everybody, just like with the Zapatistas, saying that building a world where all can exist. You're so right, Marcus. And we want to take listeners back to our two-part interview with Dr. William Robinson. He's the author of the brand new book, The Global Police State. He's also professor of sociology, global studies, and Latin American studies at the University of California, Santa Barbara. And now, Part two of our two-part interview with William Robinson on the global police state. I can't help but think of militarization commencing with colonization um, in the Western Hemisphere. And, and, uh, and when you talk about capitalism continuing to expand and looking for new ways and mechanisms to expand and create you know, more surplus labor, um, you know, I can't help uh, but think about indigenous peoples and their respective First Nations. And when we talk about the global economy, indigenous peoples make up around 6% of the world's population, but also represent about 80% of the biodiversity here on the planet or Mother Earth. And, and coming back into talking about um, this transnational capitalist class and, and the global police state, I can't help think about what uh, Thomas 
Piketty uh, said that the United States was in a transitional period of America being a hereditary aristocracy and that there's such a already an inordinate concentration of wealth that about half of that wealth will be passed on to future generations through inheritances. And I was wondering if you could comment on that and how that relates to that transnational capitalist class in a global police state. Well, I'll make uh, two comments. You know, in, um, I'm a sociologist, and so we have a concept in sociology known as social heredity, uh, meaning that this is a myth that we're all born at the same starting line and the uh, station that we achieve in life is the basis of our own efforts and the opportunities that we did or did not take advantage of. That's a complete myth. That's a, a form of ideology which simply legitimates capitalist inequality. We know that the ruling groups and that the wealthy, the vast majority, inherit their wealth. They inherit their status. They inherit their uh, power. They inherit their social networks. That's what we mean by uh, social uh, heredity. Um, and even if we don't have a formal aristocracy in the United States, that social heredity um, has been in existence since the formation of the, of the, the, the republic. Um, but I'd like to shift focus a bit in, you know, in answering the, the, the larger question and talk about uh, comments a little bit about some of the research that I did going around the world. Um, I had uh, two different sabbaticals during the six years that I was researching this book, and I got to travel to a number of countries. Um, researching global police state, but also researching the, this intensified global uh, uh, inequalities. And one of the things that we are seeing worldwide is what I refer to in the book as green, green zoning and gray zoning. So when the U.S. illegally invaded and occupied Iraq in 2003, they created in the center of Baghdad this impenetrable barrier, a giant wall um, that could not be penetrated by bombs or anything else. And inside was known as the green zone. And in the green zone was the U.S. occupation force and the new Iraqi elite that was being cultivated by the occupation force uh, to run Iraq on behalf of transnational capital. And outside of that green zone was the gray zone. That's outright warfare, destruction, mayhem. Um, a million up to a million people, the majority of them civilians, died in that uh, invasion of uh, of Iraq. So what we're seeing worldwide with this incredible inequality is that the, the cities that we live in, Los Angeles, New York, um, is all over the world. Cities are being green zoned and gray zoned. This is a new global social and spatial apartheid. 80% of humanity is locked into the gray zone. They're subject to the repression of global police state. And 20% of humanity can live a life in the global green zone. So of course we have... Um, uh, you know, this is the gated communities. So I was in Mexico City several times during the research for this book. And what we see is that the most wealthiest, the, the most, the billionaires, the Mexican billionaires, the transnational capitalist class in Mexico, have created their own satellite city known as Santa Fe. You can only get in there through private helicopter or private gated roads. And um, while well, you have the masses of Mexicans becoming dispossessed. I was in Cairo, and in Cairo you see satellite cities um, it, where you have these elite gated residential complexes with spotless green lawns, as if you're in Orange County here in California with private shopping centers and private schools that uh, teach in both English and, in, and Arabic and military checkpoints everywhere. And then you have this mass of unbelievable poverty and misery in the rest of Cairo. I was in Lima, Peru. That's another country with a majority indigenous population. And you have one neighborhood, an elite neighborhood in Lima, known as uh, uh, Paso Arenas. 
And then you have outside of that this massive dispossessed impoverished people living in a shanty town known as San Juan. And the only thing that separates these two communities is a wall, just like the U.S.-Mexico wall, just like the apartheid wall in Palestine. And of course, the people in that shanty town of San Juan in Lima stream into the elite neighborhood as um, gardeners, uh, as cooks, as nannies, as housekeepers, and then they stream out. And as they go in and they go out, they go through military checkpoints. So the whole world is becoming a tiny green zone for the privileged and a giant gray zone uh, for the majority. And again, it's that majority, and of course, disproportionately you find in that majority indigenous populations, racially oppressed groups, um, precarious workers, surplus humanity. And then once again, global police state has to reproduce this inequality through outright repression and coercion. William, since you're talking about walls and gated communities, I can't help but think of our current occupant in the White House and who fits both of those criteria really well, not to mention maybe attempting to create a green zone, not just here in the United States, but globally. Well, absolutely. I mean, the, the U.S. state is at the very center of global capitalism. The U.S. state politically organizes the system. And, and um, what it does around the world is to defend and advance the interests of transnational capital, of global capitalism, wherever it goes. So I mean, the U.S. state is, a, is the key driving force behind global, behind, uh, global police state. You're listening to American Indian Airwaves and an interview with William Robinson, who's professor of sociology, global studies, and Latin American studies at the University of California, Santa Barbara. We're speaking on his brand new book, The Global Police State. And now back to the interview. But let's go back. You're raising again, you know, green zoning and gray zoning. That's here in the United States as well. And what you see in California, to give just one example, and this is in the book, that there's no less than 592 laws in California restricting standing, sitting, resting, sleeping, panhandling, food sharing for homeless people in public spaces. So this is the way, this is social cleansing. The crisis throws more and more people into a crisis of housing, into homelessness, and then the legal system totally controls and tries to make disappear the homeless population. There are 771 laws just in California restructuring not public places. So I can go on and on. A global police state, remember those two key dimensions. One is to contain the rebellion of surplus humanity and the global working class, but also global police state is immensely profitable. So part of reorganizing the world are systems of mass incarceration. I've already mentioned the bogus wars on drugs and on terrorism, immigrant detention and deportation regimes, refugee control systems, border and containment walls that I was just speaking about, mass surveillance systems and tracking systems, militarized urban policing. And of course, we see that uh, in cities throughout the United States during this anti-racist uprising. Uh, the extension of power, military and private armies and security forces. I mentioned or I, have, I will mention that there are 20 million private police in the world, that half the countries of the world outnumber public police forces. There are 15 million people that work for mercenary forms, euphemistically known as private military firms. Then you have the direct and the structural violence, such as debt collection. Increasingly, debt collection is now carried out by the state in a repressive way, and you are criminalized if you own debt. Uh, and we see everywhere the blurring 
of the boundaries between the military and the civilian, especially in the big megacities in the United States, that's New York and Los Angeles and Chicago and elsewhere, but all of the megacities of the world, you increasingly have civilian and military dimensions uh, becoming integrated, and increasingly the giant megacities are, are war zones, urban civilian theaters. And here you also see in imposing global police state in these megacities, you see blurring the boundaries between corporate capital and the state. One of the old methods in which the 60s and different groups talked about is study your enemy. This book, The Global Police State, talks about the um, effort into that. And one section, I think, to me, reflected the book. And that, and I quote, any resolution to the crisis requires a radical redistribution of wealth and power downward to the poor majority of humanity. Social justice requires a measure of transnational social governance over the global production and financial system as a necessary first step in this radical redistribution, which in turn must be linked to the transformation of class and property relations as a struggle for what ultimately must be eco-socialism. I thought that one statement, and this, and later on you talked about the, the conscious of our collective interest and collectivity confronting capital is a battle for the future. Talk about that, please. Yes. Well, let me start by quoting uh, Sun Tzu, the um, Chinese general who 2,500 years ago said, know your enemy and know, and know yourself, right? But we want to be fighting, in my view, for two things. First, we need to fight for any and every reform, any and every reform that will improve the lot of the vast majority of humanity and help the majority of humanity to survive. And so we can talk about reforms and struggle around reforms, whether it's bringing universal health care, whether it's blocking mass evictions, whatever, whatever it is. But we don't want to lose sight of the fact that we ultimately need to move beyond capitalism. So this has been a debate. You mentioned in the 1960s, this debate really goes back to the early 20th century, reform versus revolution. And the outcome of that debate was that, that there's no contradiction between fighting for reform and fighting to actually overthrow the system and bring about a, a, a post-capitalist system. So I think we need to talk about a minimum program, a minimum program that all the different social movements, all the different progressive forces can agree upon, and not just in the United States, but worldwide. And that's being, being discussed all around the world. So we can talk about, as part of in, uh, that massive redistribution of power and wealth downward, restoring social welfare systems that have been devastated by 40 years of neoliberal capitalist globalization, especially health and educational systems. We can talk about pushing for massive public investment, for progressive taxation, including taxing financial speculation, closing up tax havens, and preventing tax fraud. We can and should be fighting for the state to regulate corporate capital, to intervene in the market and regulate the, the market. We need to talk about radical environmental measures, even within capitalism and a Green New Deal. So all of this is part of our, what I think should be, and not much more, part of a minimal program that we fight for in addition to fighting for the specific demands of each sector and each particular social movement. But as we're doing that, we also want to, and we spoke about this earlier in the interview, we want to develop a critique of capitalism because it is capitalism, and now we're talking about global capitalism. It's no longer simply nation-state capitalism. Is the common denominator that links the conditions against which we are all fighting on all of these different multiple fronts, on all of these different 
social movement. So I, I think we, we need to think about how to unite around reform projects, but also how to unite in a struggle against uh, global capitalism. William, since we're coming up on an election, do you feel like it matters whether people vote in this election? Yes. I know that this is a big debate on the left, but we have not had a chance to talk about the threat of 21st century fascism. And it's more real and more palpable than it has been, perhaps in the entire history of the United States. Of course, we can call there's been fascist tendencies and we can call uh, slavery and genocide against indigenous fascism. But in terms of a formal political system of fascism, we've never been closer to it in the, in the United States. And that is a grave danger. A, you know, the takeover by uh, of fascism is going to create the worst possible conditions for us to struggle, make things a lot worse for us. So I think we need to, and, and let's be very clear, by the Biden-Harris ticket, they're nothing but business as usual neoliberals. They are both war criminals. Um, they are beholden to Wall Street and to corporate capital. They do not represent the interests of the vast majority of us poor and struggling people from below. But still, we need to beat back the danger of fascism. So I think we need to um, vote for Biden-Harris on November 3. And then on November 4, assuming the Biden-Harris ticket wins, we need to start our mass struggle from below against Biden-Harris. William, when we talk about having at least a minimum program and this critique of capitalism and the world economy, and in talking about a post-capitalist system, I was curious what your thoughts would be on having a state mechanism whereby corporations are assessed every 10 years. And every 10 years, corporations have to be assessed to determine to see if they met a public good, an environmental good, a social justice good, an economic good, a human rights good. And if corporations, transnational corporations and large national corporations, or just corporations in general, didn't meet these standards that contribute to the overall benefit of society and the planet, then these corporations would have their articles of corporations revoked or rescinded, thus forcing the corporation to dissolve, meaning the corporation no longer enjoys its legal privilege as immortal legal persons, but all of its assets are taken over by the state, and the people that were working for that company are enrolled in, say, a federal program that provides them an economic transition to have a sustainable life, have the right to education and get retrained, or simply make a lateral move over to another corporation. And I was wondering what your thoughts were on that as a way to kind of discipline and exert control over these corporations that have contributed over the decades to ruining people's lives and the environment and the world that we live in. Right. Well, of course, um, you're, you're talking specifically, just as we had been, about one important element of a program of radical reform. Uh, but we need to be clear that corporations have only one objective, and that objective is to maximize profit. Corporations don't have the objective. They're not mandated to serve any public good. You know, and any formal declaration by some political authority that corporations should serve the public good is really beside the point to the very reason, the very reason to be, to exist, of corporations. So absolutely what we need to do is to make public 
the leading uh, corporate conglomerates that control our lives, that control the very means of our existence, and starting with the banks. We should have, after the 2008 financial collapse, demanded that the banks be nationalized, that finance be public finance. That itself would be an incredible step forward, and things like that have already been done within uh, capitalist systems. You don't even know to go. To, to, you don't even need to go to uh, socialism. But you know, ultimately, what we mean by socialism is very simple. And it simply means you replace the logic of organizing society's labor and resources and all of its activities to maximize profit. You change that out for the logic of organizing our resources, our labor, our activities for meeting social need, from private profit to social need. That all is socialism means in its essence. And so that's what we need to push for. And we can push for these resources meeting social need within these mass reformist struggles, but ultimately these reformist struggles run up against the logic of capital, of profit maximization. And that's at that point we need to move beyond reform. The moment of silence is over. And that was part two of our two-part interview with Dr. William Robinson on his brand new book called The Global Police State here on American Indian Airwaves. And that concludes our show for today here on American Indian Airwaves. We want to thank you, the listener, and encourage you to support us and KPFK by visiting the kpfk.org website and choosing a premium item to support the station. Again, Dr. William Robinson's book is a $125 premium. There are other premium items to select from. Again, visit kpfk.org or call 818-985-5735. A special thank you to our guest for the hour, Dr. William Robinson, and a special thank you to our musical guest, Aragon Star, Koopa Aina, and the band Blackfire. American Indian Airwaves is mixed and mastered in the studio of Burnt Swamp Studio in Signal Hill, California. For Marcus Lopez, Fabiana Hirsch, I've been your host for the hour, Larry Smith. Until next time. Nor the hands that hold the chains In a rhythm of resistance We still fight for our lives In this war that never ended We've outgrown your lies Let our actions speak When they ignore our against our fears Try not to become what we've endured Wearing our souls on the thread The moment of silence is over